Welcome to the Tech and Main Presents Podcast with your host, Sean St. Hill. Sean is the CEO of Tech and Main, a technology consulting firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen in as thought leaders share their tips and insights about what's going on in the world of technology. And now, here's your host, Sean St. Hill. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech and Main Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking for a second time with David Strom. David is a well-known expert on networking and communications technologies. David has worked extensively in the information technology and user computing industries. He has also managed editorial operations for trade publications in the network computing, electronics components, computer enthusiast, reseller channel, and security markets. He is also a frequent speaker at business and tech conferences around the world. David, welcome back to the Tech and Main Presents podcast. Well, you can tell that's an old introduction since the uh, conferences around the world are only being beamed from this place here in my office right now. So uh, those those pesky international flights aren't happening for me. Oh, that's 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 a, that's a good point because yeah, the the intro is from the first time you were with us, which was back in early 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so the pandemic was just getting going. Then. Right, right. We know. No, and and it's funny because we thought that by this time, you know, the end of 2021, we'd be back to normal, and we are to some extent, but not completely. Yeah, it's a very different kind of normal, for better or worse. Exactly, exactly. So, David, nonetheless, welcome back. Thank you so much for taking time, a second time, with us here on the podcast. For those that haven't had a chance to listen to that first episode, why don't you share a little bit of your background with us? So I've been a a full-time freelance writer for several decades. I started publications, as you mentioned. I, I got my taste in the IT world back in the early 1980s at the dawn of the PC revolution. It seems hard to believe that that was 40 years ago. But uh, it's been, I've been having fun ever since then, and I've continued to find new things to write about and new things to learn about. And in the meantime, I've published a couple of books, neither of which did very well, I should point out. So that is not the way to wealth in, uh, in the technology field, because it just goes out of date almost as soon as the ink is dry on the first edition. But I had fun writing them, so that was the most important thing. And like you said, I've done a lot of work in the security space. I write a lot of blogs for vendor uh, vendor blog sites, uh, Vast, Kaspersky, RSA, IBM, companies like that. Okay, so I want to touch on the fact that you were self-deprecating a moment ago when you talked about the books that you've written. What what exactly prompted you to write those two books or those? I, I think you did say a couple of books, right? Yeah, I, I've I've written more books than I've published. So the two that were published, one was called Internet Messaging, which was a title that we did not want. I was approached by Marshall Rose, who's one of the inventors of email protocols. He had written six books by then, and he was losing some steam, and he needed a co-author, and for some reason he picked me, and we just had a blast. He taught me how to write a book, which is very different from writing a 1,200-word article. And we did a great job, and the book came out uh, with a crappy title. We wanted to call it You've Got Mail because it was just before the Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks movie. And we thought we could capitalize on that, and the publisher said no. 
But for my second book, which was called The Home Networking Survival Guide, I thought I had a good title. I thought I had a, a very timely topic. This was in the fall of 2001, and it came out the week after 9-11. Oh, wow. So that pretty much took care of the book marketing and publishing industry for several months. So that was just bad timing on my part. Little did I, you know, there was no, it was completely out of control. That's the problem with writing a book. There's so many things that are outside of your control as an author. And you just have to accept that as, as fate. Right. It's, it's part and parcel. It's funny. I am a book nerd and I'm more of an audiobook nerd these days, but it's always fun when you pre-order a book and then you get to see, you know, the countdown and then you get this email alert saying, for some strange reason, the book has been pushed back. And so, you know, the book that you were expecting Tuesday morning is another month in the waiting. And you're like, but it's an audiobook. <laughs> right. Where are the bits? The bits surely must exist. Right. Over <laughs> a slow boat from someplace, you know, or it depends on a chip that's not being manufactured in, in some place, you know. It's just recorded bits. Have you seen the website NetGalley? I have not, David. Go go on there. And as a book nerd, you are going to be just, it's, it's probably a bad suggestion by me, but you can review pre-production uh, copies of authors for free. As long as you as long as you review them and you you know you review them before the book actually gets published and these are everybody from you know big deal authors down to people you've never heard of all kinds of markets all kinds of books it's fantastic oh David you have <laughs> oh like, you're not going to thank me David you, you well <laughs> listen I'm I'm thanking you on this side of knowing what the website is because I haven't dug into it yet. So I'm super excited and I feel like Christmas has come early. I, I I have a sneaking suspicion that because I have an addictive personality, this is going to be something where I am not going to leave this site once I get on it. And they have audiobooks now. They used to be just, uh, you know, Kindle copies, but now they have the actual audiobooks too that you can review. Oh. And again, it's, yeah. It's just, it's incredible. David Strong. <laughs> Thank you. You're not going to publish this, right? I don't want to give them a, a, you know, a, a plug on your podcast. I don't think that's appropriate. But. Oh, I mean, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll have, we'll have to edit that part out, but there's a, you know, certainly something exciting about having access to, to audiobooks and, and being able to, um, I just, I love knowledge. Right. I mean, there's, there's nothing more intoxicating than learning something new. Yeah, and in fact, that was one of the questions that you asked me is about what am I most excited uh, in my daily life? It's really the chance to learn something new about technology and also meet new people. You know, like this, this morning, I was talking to a guy from Oslo, Norway, and he runs a service to help people whose Facebook accounts have been hacked to recover them. Oh, wow. I mean, in, in Norway, who would have thought? Right. In, in in Norway and and it's it's funny that you mentioned that David because that is one of the amazing gifts that I've received in doing this podcast and we are as of this recording 130 episodes in two and a half years and I have had the extreme pleasure of speaking with you know obviously you as a you know previous 
people. <laughs> well, no, I mean, let's not, let's not, let's not even say that. I mean, because honestly, David, you are still one of the easiest and kindest people to connect with. I, I wish every guest or interview request was as easy as it was to reach out to you. You know, but for those that have and that are now a part of that catalog of episodes, I mean, I've I've spoken with people in Pakistan, Israel, Mongolia, other places around the world that I haven't physically set foot in, but it's just amazing to know that through this wonderful tool of technology, you know, you're able, like you said, to meet amazing people and find out about the really cool things that they're doing in the tech ecosystem. Yeah, in some respects, technology has made us a lot closer. And that's a good thing. Agreed. I I, I would definitely agree with that. But David, we are here to talk about passwordless, which for those that aren't familiar with that term, you certainly will be by the end of this podcast. That's for sure. But David, why don't we talk to the audience about what exactly is passwordless? Well, before, it sounds like almost a dirty word, the way you're saying it, you know, this kind of sneer in your voice. And it is kind of a misnomer, but let's first throw some shade on, on passwords in general. I mean, let's face it, we always use them too much which is my, um, by defining too much, I mean, at all. The average password is used two or three times by everyone. 80% of data breaches were caused by reused passwords, according to some analysts. My email and password have been used in more than 35 of them over the years. So I I don't know that that's a long uh, measure of my longevity of using those that email address or my own, you know, laxity, but, you know, it's just, it's terrible. And we've had uh, over the years, all sorts of really cumbersome solutions that you carry around a little token generator. I mean, your audience can't, can't see this, but, you know, I've got one of these babies, uh, you know, secure ID. That's a pain in the neck. You have a, have a complex password that you can't remember. You have to send a code to, via text to your phone, which can get hacked, or you come up with a passphrase that you can remember, like robot curtains, yellow stomach, you know, something like that, you know, or just some nonsense collection of words. Uh, but then you have to remember a different nonsense for, you know, different logins. So what's really interesting about password lists is that a bunch of vendors have kind of arrived at this independently. And it's, It sounds a lot more complicated than it is. So it has four things, an authenticator app on your phone combined with hardware fingerprinting on your phone and push notifications. So that's three things. We'll get to the fourth in a minute. You're still using passwords. You just don't know what they are. You don't care what they are. Uh, You don't have to remember them. You get, when you log into a site, you get a little pop-up thing on your phone that says, do you want to log into such and such a place? And you just hit the OK key or you use your face or your fingerprint to acknowledge it and you're done. That's it. It's very, very simple. There's a lot of technology behind it and that's the issue. But for once, the user doesn't have to deal with that. It's all a matter of smoke and mirrors that's happening behind the scenes. And there's a lot of vendors now that are that do this. Uh, one of them is called Secret Double Octopus. 
which has got to be the worst name for a vendor. And they're from Israel. Then there's Auth0, Hyper, H-Y-P-R, which is probably the second worst name for a vendor because you got to spell it out always. Duo, which is part of Cisco, and then Trusona. So all these guys have a collection of tools that you can pull this off with. Okay. So David, I am going to ask this question as someone who loves their password manager. And I want to ask, does passwordless mean that I don't need LastPass or Dashlane anymore? Well, in the ideal world, if every one of the people that supply you with a login went with this, then the answer would be yes. You could throw that you know, in your, tr- in your trash can and, and be done with it. But of course, we know that's never going to happen. There's always going to be some holdout, some troglodyte that it re- you know, refuses to do anything. You know, my bank still uses SMS uh, one-time passwords. You know, I mean, at least they do that, but they don't do anything more advanced. And that technology has been around for over a decade. So, you know, the, the nice thing about using a password manager is that you've made a baby step forward because you don't know what any of those passwords are that your password manager has created. It's some gobbledygook of, you know, some 12, 20, whatever character limit that you, you set for the thing. And by the way, you should set at least a 15 character limit for your, your passwords in the future. But yeah, that's a, that's a good step and congratulations, good for you. I've been trying to get my wife to use a password manager and it's it's painful. You know, so it, everybody has to really be on one page in your business or you know people that you share critical information with. Okay, so David, so we're, we're using password managers until the world gets a clue that passwordless is the way to go. I, I do want to ask though, we we hear in the industry zero trust, right? So now that some in our audience are being introduced to passwordless, can you share the difference between passwordless and zero trust? So it's not a really a set of product or a set of tactics or protocols. Zero trust is kind of a state of mind. It's more strategic that I'm going to you know, not bring everything into that circle of trust automatically. You have to prove yourself. So, you know, your firewall, you may think of, well, that's got to be trusted because, hell, it's your firewall. It's blocking stuff. Uh, But you got to make sure that it's blocking the right stuff and it's not letting bad stuff out as well as in. A lot of firewalls, when they were initially designed, were more about preventing people from getting in. And what about the rogue employee that was, you know, proceeding to download your database to his, uh, you know, to some Gmail account? You know, I mean, that is an example of someone that shouldn't be trusted the minute that you find that out, but you can only find that out if you're monitoring the outbound channel as well as the inbound channel. So anyway, so that zero trust is, you know, basically untrusted until proven otherwise. And it's really a, a set of principles that you want to use to build a secure environment for your technology. Okay. Well, thank you for helping us with that that understanding. So let's talk public and private sector, right? Those two hemispheres don't always run at the same speed. And so, you know, when it comes to passwordless, do you see that playing out differently in the public and private sectors? 
Yeah, because they have different obstacles and different motivation. You know, for the uh, for password list to work, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts that have to all work together, and the, that's never a good thing for government. You know, they don't they don't like they don't play well with others. You know, they're good at telling everybody else what to do, but not necessarily for themselves. Uh, you know, and with private industry, they're very motivated by losing you know, losing their money, you know, their company going under, they're being sued, uh, you know, their regulators fining them because they did something bad, you know, that's, that's a definite motivation for private people. And so they'll adopt password lists when they, they realize that, you know, something has, has happened that it severely impacts their bottom line. Public side of things, they're more compliant with regulations they may take their sweet time and they miss deadlines, but they'll eventually get there. And so there have been a number of, of more password hygiene, if you will, from the National Institute of Standards and other, other standards bodies uh, on this. You know, I, I wanted to just show you the latest uh, recommendations by NIST for passwords. It has to be much longer than eight characters. You don't want to put in complexity requirements, you know, like has to have one digit and a funny character and a capitalization because that reduces compliance and because um, people will reuse things uh, if they don't have complexity requirements. But nevertheless, you don't want to make the users annoyed with you. You shouldn't have the periodic resets. I mean, I just got one. I'm a, a volunteer of the American Red Cross, and they insist on changing my password every three months. And you know, it's got a long list of things that I can and can't do. And, uh, you know, I don't even bother reading that anymore. So no hints or any kind of knowledge-based Q&A, because that just creates the opportunity for hackers to figure it out. You know, what was your first high school? Who was the first girl you kissed? You know, whatever it is that you got to answer on those crazy questions. And then people that don't hash and secure the overall password database. I mean, that's definitely no, no. So at least there's some things in the standards where they're trying to acknowledge the fact that they are a pain in the neck and we've got to fix them. Well, David, hopefully in, in our lifetimes, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see both of those sectors come to the place where they're, they're doing things in tandem. I will say this in you know, as kind of an aside, it, it has been interesting to see this administration and specifically uh, CISA speak more about, you know, the public and private sectors, the need to work together. And so we'll, we'll see how that works out over time. But, you know, at least from that standpoint, you know, there is the acknowledgement that what, let's say, the FBI or another government agency learns about, you know, a particular hacking incident or a data breach, you know, that should be shared with the private sector and vice versa. So, right. I think we're beginning to see that cooperation in the ransomware arena. Plus, you really need to have private and public partnerships. You know, you're not going to arrest anybody in Russia. I mean, you can you can charge them, you know, put out a little press release that says, you know, Sergey is, you know, a bad guy. And, you know, if Sergey steps foot in Poland, which is, you know, one of those guys, I forget who it was, last week did that. I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, you know, they had his, his uh, name on the watch list and he was immediately arrested by the Polish police. Now, of course, uh, extraditing him from Poland is only slightly easier than impossible, which is what you know, it is from Russia, but still it shows you how the world has to cooperate to get rid of these guys. You know, just, you know, they act with impunity. 
No, you're 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 absolutely right, David. Let's switch gears here and find out from you what teacher at any level has had the greatest impact on you. So I was 22 or 23. I was working in my second job out of school in Washington D.C. for a nonprofit NGO, basically. We didn't call them back then, then, but that's what it was. And I had to learn how to write because I was going to be testifying on Capitol Hill on some of the policies that we were were talking about. And I had a boss who had one of the first word processors. His name was Grant. He's still around. And he he thinks I'm one of his best employees, best students. He's very proud of my writing. And I'm very proud of his teaching because he suffered tremendously to teach me how to write. I was didn't have any clue how to write. I didn't even know that basic English syntax existed. Because I was, you know, I was a nerd. I was a math major. I, you know, did computers when I was in college. I didn't have to write papers. And if I did, I took the minimum number of courses that required that. And so he turned me into a, a great writer. And I'm very, very thankful for that. Always remember him. Oh, well, talk about the gift that keeps on giving, eh? That's right. I mean, it's been phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Oh, that's great. So thank you, Grant, wherever you are. And hopefully if you're listening, um, you will receive the plaudit and, uh, and take that knowing that you've influenced David Strom to the place where he is now. So awesome. All right. So David, we're going to go back a few years, not too many because you're still a young guy. Um, but you know, we're going to, we're going to go back to 18 year old David Strom and we're going to ask the David of today, what advice would he give his 18-year-old self? Oh, man. Well, I would say try as many new things as possible. Go into every experience you can with an open mind and see what you can take away from it. How's that for advice? Oh, that's... Probably would not listen to, but... (laughs) So, David, it's it's interesting because, you know, let me me ask you this. I mean, were were you at a place as an 18-year-old to receive that kind of advice? Well, I was about to go to college. So, you know, I went directly from high school to college. So I don't know. I mean, I was definitely looking forward to being, you know, going away to school and, and you know, being on my own and, and having to uh, to learn what that was like. Okay. All right. So, David, let me say that this time has gone by way too quickly. Before we go, I want to give you the floor one last time. Share with us obviously the best way to get in contact with you, but let us know about any upcoming speaking engagements, um, any, you know, passion projects that you have, whatever you would like to say, you know, as we, as we close out our time together. Well, thanks, Sean. Uh, So you can reach me at strom.com, my website, blog, uh, Twitter account is dstrom, and email, of course, david at strom.com. So I'm all over the internet. One of the things I've been doing, as I mentioned, the Red Cross, um, I volunteer for them in a variety of capacities. One of the more interesting ones is doing a monthly webinar that's seen by about 400, three or 400 of their top managers who are responsible all across the country for managing their disaster and relief services. And once a month, they get everybody together and they tell them what's new, you know, how COVID has changed the way you provide 
services in a high school gymnasium or you know someplace like that after a flood or a tornado and it's like producing a tv show once a month with people that have no production values uh you know that they weren't on the av squad in high school you know they don't necessarily know we we've switched over from using uh webex to using microsoft teams and so we had to relearn all the things that the little quirks that were in one that were not replaced with other quirks that were in the other and it's pretty awesome when you're running a, a conference like that from your desktop and everybody's looking at your slides for the next hour and a half and you know, you got to pay attention. You got to make sure that they're you're in sync. You got to you know do all sorts of, of things to produce, make sure that the audio is is good for all the speakers. You know that somebody didn't drop off because of sunspots or you know some internet weirdness. You know, so it's 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 challenging, but it's a lot of fun. Okay, and so David, is that available to? people outside of the Red Cross, or is that just internal to... It's just an internal uh, web conference just for the staff. Okay. All right. Well, obviously, we'll put your contact information in the show notes. And um, David, let's just go ahead and make sure that we have you back at some point in the near future uh, for a third time, because this was a lot of fun. So thank you for making time for us today. Thanks, Sean. It's always a pleasure chatting and Techamay Presents family, thank you as always for listening. And be sure to tune in next time when we will have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to another episode of Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends. And thanks for being a part of the Tech and Main Presents community.